This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Glenn Beck, the Blaze Radio Network. We are completely confused by politics today. I don't know what the GOP is doing. Now it looks like the GOP is suddenly backing off of Donald Trump. What? What? Now that he has the nomination, now you're going to come out and say, well, I'm not really sure. It doesn't make any sense. We'll try to make sense of our world, politics, and the entire conservative movement. Begins right now. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. George Soros is back in the news. George Soros looks like he is uh, uh, now beginning to um, look into uh, maybe shorting euro, the euro in the European markets, which is fantastic. You know, he likes to... He likes to play those games, you know, and see if he can uh, shape a move world order. Looks like he's starting now. It's funny because, he, you know, we've covered many times his uh, efforts at shorting currencies and ruining countries in that way. Um, But it's like if if you're just an investor, why are you telling everyone in advance what your investment is, right? Like for some reason, certain investments of his make a lot of news. In yes. advance of him making them. Yes. I wonder why. Uh, because he tries to get people to dogpile. Yeah. Remember, we, we talked about this. He'll make the investment, and then he'll go very, very public, and people will say, oh, well, if he's doing that, then I need to do it. And that's what causes the collapse. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. Um, we'll get back into George Soros here in just a second. And that Chewbacca mom. Now, the left is very upset uh, the Chewbacca mom, because look at this privilege coming to this this white woman. Want to see this happen to a black person? I uh, don't get me what? started. Don't get me started. You see how many views that has? Yeah, 155 million now. Yeah, and so everybody is jumping on board and giving them free stuff, yeah. and Target is giving the free stuff. Yes, it's 155 million views. A hundred and fifty-five million. It's worth it for all of those people. I mean, I, 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 I don't get where you're, you're missing the free advertisement of a hundred and fifty-five million. This is the new thing. 
This is the way it's going to happen. Instead of hiring somebody like Mike Rowe to talk about Ford, if somebody goes to 155 million views talking about how great a Ford is, I can guarantee you Ford's going to give them a car. That's the way it works. Uh, Also, Obama's faith-based council. Have you seen who he's put on the faith-based council? Um, They're all gay. On Obama's faith-based council, they're all gay now. Yeah, Good. and um, and I mean, Stu, I just want you to I just want you to describe. Excuse me, I just want you to describe Stu. At least one, just pick one of the faith-based council members. Did anybody stick out there? I will pick one. Um, there is a lovely woman with black hair. Mm, mm, let's try the try the next one. I, you said pick one. Uh, let's try the next one. And not the Sikh, not the gay Sikh. <laughs> There's a gay Sikh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pick, pick the other one. You There's know, only three there. Pat just or Stu I, just pick the I am third having, one. I am having major eye <laughs> really there. Vision. It's the yeah. one. It's the one. I am, uh, the wow. Farthest I, there, to the right. I'm guessing there's a transgender on the council. I wow. I wow. I don't know. I, wow. <laughs> Give that to Pat. Uh, he can see if that's. Let me see. See what. See Perhaps if anybody, I could just see if anybody jumps out at you at the. Uh, at the on the Obama uh, faith based. Oh yeah, the lovely black haired person does. Yeah, right. Isn't, right. That, isn't she? <laughs> she like, yeah, yeah, it's a. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. What? I. Uh, you know, it's. Um... <laughs> she's beautiful, isn't she? Lovely. Yes, she's lovely. Is it? She looks like yes. Is she trans- she's transgendered. Uh, she looks as though. My uncle Bob put on some lipstick. Now you you don't know my uncle Bob, but just trust me, he would have been delicious in a dress. Okay, <laughs> imagine me with lipstick. I got I mean, I'm pretty. I, I I think that's fascinating. I thought we were supposed to be diverse, yeah, and representative of society because if you don't have a certain percentage of gays. Represented on every movie and every television show, which is about you know anywhere from two percent to as high as eight percent. Now, even no, even, no, no, no. You're, even, you're looking at those wrong. It's as high. It's as high as ninety-eight percent. Yeah, but, well, and, now it is, and as low as ninety-two <laughs> percent. Uh, but even Glad said, I think it was you know five percent or something around there. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got one hundred percent of his faith-based council gay. Uh, and almost 100% of the relationships that uh, pop up on television are gay. May I just say this? The fundamental transformation of America. It's, Let me give you this one. Pretty well there. Three-person babies IVF te- technique now safe, according to the BBC. They can now take the DNA from three individuals, so there will oh. no longer be a mom and a dad. It's three people. Why would you do that? Hmm? What is the benefit for that? How is that being sold? Being sold? Why do you have to? Okay, you can have a mom and a dad and a dad. Hey, you can have two moms and a dad. Why would you do that? Why would you do it? Um, Diversity of genes? Don't know. Would not want to experiment with a child like that. I maybe it's that you want two dads, and they need. A mom to carry the baby? Maybe. 
And so it's two dad genes, and then they're just using her as a surrogate? Maybe? Yeah. They don't. Yeah, if we could just eliminate heterosexuals from um, the procreation process. If we could just, well, there, there is another story that I have someplace where you are, if you are white and male, you're not allowed to participate. In I don't remember. I don't have it. I just remember the headline. If you're white and male, I saw it today on. I don't remember what website it was on. White. I just didn't even click on it because I'm like, what a surprise! I know what a surprise. Okay, here's where I want to talk to you about the what what the Republicans are doing. Scott Walker is now hesitating on backing Donald Trump. Well. I'm hesitating as well. So I, <laughs> no, hang on I, I can understand his hesitation. So he's hesitating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had Paul Ryan call him a racist this week. We've had Newt Gingrich call him a racist this week. That had to <laughs> and apologize. And then back off of it. Yeah. Um, uh, we've had uh, Jeff Flake has come out and said he's not going to endorse him. What the hell's going on? Well, there's individual circumstances for all these people that can at least partially explain it. I mean, Mark Kirk is a is a moderate to left Republican running in a liberal state and coming out and saying that Donald Trump is offensive probably helps him in his re- okay. in his reelection race. But John Kasich said uh, in no uncertain terms, not going to. He stands by everything that he said in the in the campaign. I don't, you know, Kasich. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not. He is, sure. by the way, his the governor of the state. Mm-hmm. That is holding the convention. Yeah, I'm, I can't, you know, I don't know uh, with Kasich, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. And that seems like a principled position, but he does. Uh, he has no principles. Yeah, it doesn't seem like. It does seem like a principled position, but if he actually cared about getting Donald Trump removed, he would have dropped out of the race and Ted Cruz probably would be yes. the likely nominee right now. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, and that's a question that nobody on Fox is asking him, but. So you got that. Why, why all of a sudden he's so passionate? I know I won't endorse him. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, Kasich, I don't have a good explanation for. I mean, Jeff Flake is a guy who's come out. Flake has been, uh, we really liked him at the beginning. Uh, he's ha- done some he is things. perfectly named. He's been a flake. Yeah, well, but I mean, you know, even, you know, he had a lot of promise, and maybe this is one of his good moments. Um, I don't know. I mean, it does seem like, is, Je- is Jeff Flake also Mormon as well? I think so, yeah. I'm pretty sure he is, yeah. I will say that it does, looking at the polling in Utah, it does seem like Mormons in particular have a, uh, a strong dislike for Donald Trump. Um, yeah. uh, Mormons in particular. Have last poll, he was up 29-26. Yeah, right? with Gary Johnson with 16% in Utah yeah. and 29% undecided. There's, and this is, this is, by the way. Well, Mormons, were taught, Mormons were taught the Constitution, and now they don't know what to do. Yeah, I think there's they a lot of indecisiveness. Because obviously, like, you have... Uh, you know, a few candidates, a couple candidates in particular, the major parties that are just, you know, uh, horrible, horrible for, from, from their perspective in particular. Um, so maybe that is partially uh, the reason. Well, there's a, what was the other one we just, uh, uh, who was the last person that we were just discussing um, when it comes to the... Uh, Jeff Flake, um, uh, Kasich. Kirk, we did that. Kirk. There's one, oh, Walker, Scott Walker. Yeah. I mean, Scott Walker is an interesting one in that he actually has a future. You know, some of these people, he, he's one of these guys that everyone will be talking about if Trump loses to run in 2020 as the Republican nominee. He'll be one of the top people again. I don't think he really 
hurt himself that much with his run. Some of these guys did. Um, with Walker, he, he was the first one to drop out. Yep. Um, and it was largely swirling around him having uh, issues with his campaign. You know, the reports were that he built the campaign too big, too fast. It may have worked in a normal race when there wasn't 17 candidates, but because he built it so big so fast and tried to build a national campaign early, it cost too much and it wound up being too much of a struggle. So he dropped out early. And he, so he's probably going to be one of the guys everyone talks about again in 2020. So it might benefit him because if Trump wins, then Trump's going to be the nominee in 2020. And what is, you know, 2024 for Scott Walker? Maybe, but I mean, that's a, you know, so maybe there's a benefit to him sticking by his criticisms of Trump. You see um, uh, Ted Cruz and his response. Oh, I lo- I, it was a visual response. Yes. Uh, from what I heard, um, the report was that, uh, as uh, Ted Cruz entered the elevator, someone asked him if he was going to ever um, s- select Donald Trump as a nominee, uh, and he just stared at them quietly and let the doors close. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I just love that. Okay, so now, are we going to a bigger p- tent? Are we truly going to a bigger tent? Here's what Donald Trump said yesterday. Remember, Hugh Hewitt said that he shouldn't be the nominee. I assume Hugh Hewitt, I assume hater Hugh Hewitt will not be attending the GOP convention. If he is, the RNC should ban him from attending. I love, I love this because it's what we're in for. We're, all to- we're told by Donald Trump that he's making the party larger. And that he's all he's about is making bringing in new voters. Yet the people who don't support him are not even welcome at the convention. By the way, if it's true that Donald Trump uh, is bringing in new voters that have never voted for Republicans before, then should they have banned all of his voters at the last convention? If they bring a normal Republican back for the next time they have a convention, should they ban all of the all of his voters next time? I mean, that's it's a ridiculous argument. If you're, you're you're supposed to be, and you've said this before, Glenn, every candidate is supposed to come to us. It's our vote. We're not taking votes away from Donald Trump. He has to earn our votes. And so does every other candidate, every Senate candidate. It's mine. You come and you earn it from me. So if you don't earn it, you don't get it. You don't earn it. You don't get it. And for many people, Trump will do enough to get it. But he, you know, the idea that every time someone comes out and says something critical about him, they get banned from the convention is is uh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. And to, and it's who to, he is, though, yeah, it is. he can't help who he is. And well, no, but, is. but and when the, he when he look, has the power of the presidency behind him, he is going to be an absolute. The nightmare. supporters should be trying to ingratiate themselves with those who don't like and trying to convince them in a nice way trying to come to him in a nice way instead of doing what they're doing. I mean, you're not going to win anybody's heart on that. Nobody's heart. Uh, and worse off, listen to this. This is from the Huffington Post. A writer in the Huffington Post, sorry liberals, but a violence response to Trump is the answer. Listen to this. Uh, they won't be on Sirius XM, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they won't be on Sirius XM. Uh, the next time you, you go to a um, another was sucker punched by a demonstrator at a rally and more alarmingly went on to say the next time we see him, we might have to kill him. 
Trump is not just fragrantly violated the typical boundaries of political discourse. His candidacy is linked to multiple instances of violence. It shouldn't be a surprise that opposition to him has responded in kind. Yet a lot of people seem shocked and appalled at this perfectly logical reaction. In face of media, politicians, GOP primary voters normalizing Trump as a presidential candidate, whatever your personal beliefs regarding violence resistance, there is inherent value in forestalling Trump's normalization. Violence resist, violent resistance accomplishes this. Uh, such resistance is apparently more offensive and unacceptable to societal norms and liberal sensibilities than the nastiness being resisted in the first place. As a result, a litany of think, uh, think tank pieces and condemnations from liberal media and politicians are making the round to make it clear how unacceptable and counterproductive any violence or rioting in urging people to listen to the other side and to use legitimate means, um, ignoring the possibility of fascism in the U.S. rising with Donald Trump's election. Those who stray from this nonviolent narrative, uh, the editor of Vox, who tweeted that people should riot when Trump comes to town, face swift and punitive redress, urging them to fall back in line. Amidst the hot takes and denunciations from liberals, they all seem to miss a few key points. First, they misplace the blame. Second, they misunderstand the desired outcome from violent resistance and those protesting Trump in general. And third, they ignore the history of successful violent insurrection in the U.S. I'm not familiar with the successful... I'm not familiar with it either. Uh, This uh, is the media. Where is the uh, media calling out their own on the Huffington Post saying... We need to respond with violence. Boy, that's dangerous. And, and the Trump supporters uh, have not been violent. They have not been. All they've been doing is supporting Trump at these latest, uh, these latest incidents. It's, it's all the protesters against Trump that have been violent, that have been burning American flags, that have been screaming and yelling and throwing eggs at people. And the Trump supporters haven't done anything, to my knowledge, in response to that. Yeah, that's no, true. I mean, pretty bad. You know, and I, I don't think that the violent supporters have gotten enough outrage. I, I've seen very little outrage. Have you seen very much? No, I haven't seen anybody no. call them out. No, because they all want to stop Donald Trump, and they believe. Right. And they all believe. They're fine with it. Any means necessary to do it. It's despicable. It is despicable. And there also, is the Huffington Post calling for violence. The, the Literally fi- calling for violence. The absurd part about this is... The thing, the best possible thing for Donald Trump's campaign is have a bunch of idiots throwing eggs at women at rallies. Yeah. It actually helps really Trump more than anything else. American financing MNLS uh, 1822233. Uh, wow. You're actually worse than uh, <laughs> Spoons. <laughs> You're worse than www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. It was good. I, thank was good. you. I wow. love that. It's great. <laughs> Jeffy's out and all day. he needs to come back. Anyway, apparently. interest rates are at historic low levels, and now it is time to get your financial house in order. Refinance your mortgage or consolidate your debts with American, re- uh, American financing. American Financing's mortgage-based consultants work for you, and they will find the best rate. They're salary-based. They uh, specialize in finding solutions for you and not count their commissions. Getting the best mortgage for you and save you hundreds of dollars a month is what they do. American Financing, they'll find the right mortgage for you and make the, the, the uh, whole entire closing process painless. 
10 minutes to qualify, 10 days to close, saving $500 to $1,000 a month. If that sounds good to you, you need to call 866-750-6551, 866-750-6551. America's home for home loans is AmericanFinancing.net. Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Mercury. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, I I just can't get over the silence of the press where um, you have the Huffington Post. Imagine if I said that. Imagine if I said oh. that. Imagine if a guest on your show said that. Th- that actually said it. Right. Not somebody who didn't say that. <laughs> somebody who actually came on and said, you know what? You got to respond in violence. You got to stop him right now at all costs. Where is the liberal press on calling out the Huffington Post for openly calling for violence right now on the Donald Trump campaign? Where are they? Back in a minute. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Did you know that Bob Dylan is now doing Sinatra hits? Oh, did not. No, yeah. I, I'm not a. I'm not are a. You kidding I, me? I am not a Bob Dylan fan at all. Strangers in the night. Right. It turned out so right. <laughs> strangers in the night. Okay. That's got to be good. Right. So a friend of mine sent this to me, uh, and, and an album, and said. Uh, because he said, are, are you a Dylan fan? And I said, no, no, no not really. A, no, uh, I mean, I like his poetry. I mean, I think he, he played a big role in the 60s on the poetry of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. But keep that on your inside voice. Let somebody else sing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, no, I haven't. And uh, he said, oh, you would not believe he's done this. This Sinatra album, and I said, "You're right. I, 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 I wouldn't believe. I wouldn't believe that." And he said, "Oh no, he is. He's he's got the band, and he's doing it live, and doing it without headphones, and doing it just with a band, and doing it exactly the way Sinatra did it." 
Oh, now you're really speaking my language. Right. And he said, it has to be good. And he said, it's, it, it's, it, it's great. And, uh, it's, you know, it, it, he's doing it in the same key that Sinatra did. And he's 70. Bob Dylan is 70. And, and for Sinatra was, you know, like 30 or 40 when he did a lot of those things. So I, I put it on last night. I've never, I've, I've never heard anything quite like it. I believe I've, that. I've never heard anything quite like it. That I believe. Yeah, I wish we had the license to be able to play a couple of hits. I know, that would be uh, From it. That would be, but, uh, that'd be a whole show. It would be a whole show. <laughs> It'd be a whole show. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, uh, you know, and I was listening to it, and I was thinking, you know, I should go see Bob Dylan before he dies. I should go see him in concert before he dies. You know, he's 70 years old. I wish I, you know, there's, there are legends that you have to see. Bob Dylan is a legend. Mm-hmm. I think both of those sentences independently are true. There are legends that you have to see, <laughs> and Bob Dylan is a legend. <laughs> right. That does not mean that he is one of the legends that you have to see. No, that's right. So, you know, I mean, there's not people that you disagree with or you, you don't like their music that... You think if I had a chance to see this person live, just for my own, check that off. Dylan's not I, one of them for me. Right, I think I have to. There has to be some level of interest and enjoyment for yeah. the person. Like I, you know, I recognize that a lot of people find him to be great, and he's you a know, great writer. But I, I here's don't. what I, here's what I did find. Uh, here's what I did. I listened to the whole CD. The person who was listening to it with me, who I unfortunately inflicted on. And didn't say anything about it for about two or three songs, and then said to me, "Do, do you do you do, do you do you like this?" <laughs> and uh, I said, I, "I'm I'm finding it very interesting um, because he is it's it's such a fish out of water, and it is he's taken all of these songs from Frank Sinatra, and it's they're not, but it's almost in a minor key. It's almost." Did he hit a single note? Yeah, he hit, he did hit a note, <laughs> but not the right one. Yeah, no, I mean, he, you know, it's Bob Dylan. I was expecting from my from my friend's uh, explanation that he was going to not sound necessarily like Bob Dylan and more like Frank Sinatra. Yet didn't happen. <laughs> he sounds like Bob Dylan. So you're listening to Bob Dylan and you're you're thinking, I want to hear him sing Frank Sinatra. Just imagine Bob Dylan. Singing Frank Sinatra. What I didn't imagine, because what he said was, you know, and he's playing with the live band. Now, if I describe that he's done Sinatra in the same key, the same way that Sinatra did it live, what do you think it sounds like? You know the box. To the moon. Right. What does. Yes. 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 Play me to the moon. I, that's yes, how I would imagine. You got him down. But what does the band sound like? I mean, I would assume it's in the same style as Frank Sinatra, right? Like it's a big band. You would assume that. It's uh, not. But no, no, it's not. It's a lot of steel guitar. Steel guitar. Wow. So it is very bizarre. It's really bizarre. And I found it, I listened to the whole album. Don't know if I listened to it again, but I listened to the whole album because. It is so uh, longing and so mournful and sad, and and I've never heard an interpretation of of his songs. You got to turn that off, Pat. <laughs> but I, I was, yeah, 
Uh, you got to turn that I was off, hoping yeah. to hear a little. <clears throat> no, we'll all hear later, it and then we'll be sued right. for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. That's the, I mean, I would admit it probably is interesting. What I find, <laughs> here's what I, here, I would just, love to you talk. You can't say it's good though, right? You can't, you can't possibly. It's great Bob Dylan. Okay. Okay. I don't like Bob Dylan's songs. I mean, I, I can't say that. I don't like Bob Dylan's singing. Yeah. Now, I really was never a fan of Johnny Cash. Never a fan of Johnny you Cash. Listen to him all the time. Yes, I was a fan of Johnny Cash towards the end because you know that Cash album. Have you heard the last one I've he heard made on it? It is, there is so much experience. When he sings, um, uh, what's the suicide song? I cut myself. Hurt. Yeah, hurt, yeah. When, when he sings hurt, okay, I like the other version done by the original band. I don't, I wouldn't put that on and go, oh, yeah, no, that's, no, this is a much better, musically, this is a much better song but done by Johnny Cash. No, it's not. But there is something about his is something about his voice at that time that just shows he means it. I hurt myself today. You know what I mean? There, there's something about the way he, the, because of the seasoning in his voice, the decades of experience. Mm-hmm. And I found that the same way with the Bob Dylan thing. It was fascinating to listen to because of the, the decades of whatever is inside of him because when you listen to it, it's the same key. It's not a minor key. When you listen to it, it's the same key, the same songs. And you've always been like, hey, that's a good song. I like that. Hey, it's Frank and Michael Buble. And then all of a sudden, you'll be suicidal by the time you finish <laughs> this. And not because of the music, but because of there's something he's longing for. There's something he's missing. There's some. There's something inside of Bob Dylan. Now, does your quote go on the album cover? You'll no, I don't think suicidal. so. <laughs> I want you to I want you to listen to it and tell me that it isn't. It it, it doesn't sound like that. It, I mean, it really does. Let me find the let me find the name of the because I think he's done more than one. Maybe, maybe he's done more than one. That seems to be the trend now for a lot of these old rockers. Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, they're they're all going to these uh, you know the the traditionals. Yeah, the standards. The standards. Uh, Shadows in the Night, Bob Dylan. But you've never heard the standards done. And does he do Fly Me to the Moon? Uh, no, he said, you know, he was, let's see, I'm a, I'm a fool to want you. Autumn leaves, the night we called it de- uh, called a day. Uh, stay with me. Why try to change me now? Some enchanted evening is hysterical. <laughs> uh, full moon. <laughs> but not intentionally. Not intentionally. Uh, full moon and empty arms. Where are you? What do I do? That, uh, the, that lucky old son. But I'm wow. telling you, uh, the only reason why I'm bringing this up, because I don't want to do a Bob Dylan bash fest here. Right. Um, only reason why I'm telling you is I actually finished the album and wanted to say to Tanya, but I know she'll never go with me. I want to go see him. I want to see him do this. And I would love to either see a documentary. I'd love to talk to him. But I'd love to see a documentary that was asking the questions that I would ask Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Somebody who does a Bob Dylan interview is going to be a big, huge, huge fan. And maybe the interview ends here. Bob, what's up with this sound? How do you make 
these songs in the same key sound like they're in a ma- in a minor key. What what's happening in in your heart? What's happening? What is it that you're feeling at 70 years old? And maybe he says nothing. And you're like, okay, good. All right. Thanks very much. But I bet you not. Mm -hmm. Has he, I've heard stories, and I don't know if this is true. I've heard he's a conservative, and I heard he is a, uh, he is a Christian. Oh, he's a, he's definitely a Christian. Uh, I would be very surprised if he's conservative. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I I didn't know if I could believe either of those. But he had a conversion in life, did he not? Yes. He did. Uh, it might not be that he's a conservative. I don't know. I, I'm just, there's, there's nothing. You just have to listen to the songs. And, and, and you have to listen to the entirety of the CD. Because you don't really get it, I think, until you're hearing three quarters of it or all of it. When you walk away going, there's a feeling here through this whole thing. Like, like for instance, with the Johnny Cash there was a feeling that this is, you knew this was his last. It, he, it, there's something to that album when you're listening to Cash and you're like, mm-hmm. he knows that's it. You think there's a possibility you could have stopped that sentence as, after you just said, uh, you, you might not get it, and then, then that's it? <laughs> yeah, no, you might not get it. You might and not. I might be reading too much into it. No, I mean, I, I think the, the Cash thing was very much that way, Johnny Cash. Where it was, it I think felt there's like something was, to this, too. It felt like some of the songs he sang... As he was dying, like he was legitimately taking well, like, his one of them, to last breath. One of them they did. I talked to his son, and he had to hold his dad up for one of those. Yeah, I mean, it's felt I mean, it was that a, way. Yeah, and and be, from an artistic perspective, it was amazing for that. I mean, you know, even though it's not something I want to. I mean, Glenn brings it in, like you know, right before the show, and we're all like, "Hey, okay, get, 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 you know, let's get to some comedy." And then, I heard myself we all just want to kill ourselves uh so that's well yes yeah, the show sucks glenn has played johnny cash right before we went on so here's what here's what i wrote to my friend he said what did you think and i said you feel the pain and not quite despair but for sure there seems to be a longing for something lost missing or unfound i know that's not a right word uh, i know that's not a word but it's the right thing there's something unfound in his life. Um, I spoke to a son of Johnny Cash a couple of years back. Great story. I can't imagine what it was like to do with that album, uh, knowing that it was most likely his, his last. Thanks for the tip. No, no, seriously. Pass. Thanks. No, I just want to. It was interesting. It was an interesting journey. My sister said something when she was really young that it stuck with me. I had a good time with my mind today. Uh, and it always stuck with me. And this is just a trip that you'll take, and if you're willing to, you take this trip, and you've never heard standards done like this. Never heard. That standards. I believe that. Yeah, and I there's, believe. and I would only have pointed it out if I thought there was something. There's something else behind. There's something, and I don't know Bob Dylan's story or anything, you know, enough here in the last forty years or whatever. But there's something longing about this that is really interesting. All right, when you want a sold sign in front of your yard, finding the right real estate agent is key. I have listed my homes before, and I've had people who have great ideas and everything else, but they don't, they don't get it done, and it's all about blowing up balloons and, and, um, you know, and, and having another open house, and then you don't sell your house. 
we've decided to, to start a company. I started it about two years ago or so, and we just unveiled it because we wanted this to be in testing for about two years. We wanted to see what people's results were and if we could make their life better. And if we could, then we'd, we'd roll it out. If we couldn't, then we would just fold it back up. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Our goal is to connect you with an agent who can help you sell your home for the best price possible and as quickly as possible without any games. And to be able to find those real estate agents who are, are fans and who are people that listen to the show, so they are searching for the same kind of life that you are. Every, I don't ever have a problem with somebody making money. I don't have a problem with somebody. I mean, I believe in the free market system. What I really don't like is somebody who's taking advantage of me or scamming me or locking me into something. Real estate agents I trust. Houses have been sitting on the market for months, are selling. People are finally to, able to take the big burden off of their, uh, their shoulders. That's what we have seen with real estate agents I trust. Call now or go to realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com, where our individually selected agents will work to earn your business every single day. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Mercury. The Glenn Beck Program. Could have helped you instead of hurt. You. So now I'm. Now I play during the break. I played a couple of things from Bob Dylan, "Shadows in the Night," uh, which strange. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, so I don't know. I, I you know, I haven't. I've never listened to a full album of his, um, but I've always respected him for his writing and his poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you give him a pass on his voice, just like Johnny Cash. There's something more to than just his voice. Um, and with with Bob Dylan, I, I don't know him well enough to know if. If this is the feeling you always get, but I just played What Will I Do with Pat. Yeah. And, and I see what you're saying. There is something, right? Yeah. Is there, there some, is. there's something about, maybe it's the 70 years, or maybe every Bob Dylan feels like this, but there's so much more behind it. And maybe yeah. because this is not, these are not his lyrics, these are standards. But there's also the fact that he's a, a musician who's been doing this for 60 years now almost and he knows how to do this you know he knows how to give feeling to songs so it, it in might, a weird way in a way that i've never i don't know maybe we're just know. maybe i'm just discovering bob dylan and every hippie out there because i didn't grow up in the hippie era so every hippie out there is like oh it's always been, yeah, that, it's always way. been that way that's what we Dude. liked him for mm-hmm. i don't know but there's something I, to me it seems like Mainly because these are songs that don't have any political meanings behind them. Mm-hmm. And so you're hearing, maybe I'm hearing for the first time what everybody has always heard from Bob Dylan. But like so much. Yeah. And you like it because you were on the left and he was singing your anthem. Mm-hmm. Now I'm starting to understand, wow, there is something deep behind his voice. I feel the same way about Kesha. <laughs> Thank you. This is the Glenn Beck 
program. Mercury. You know, we were talking about Bob Dylan, and he has this uh, this new album out, or I don't know how long it's been out. I just found it called Shadows in the Night. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, never been a Bob Dylan fan, um, but there's something to this album. He's doing standards. He's doing Frank Sinatra songs all in the same key, I'm told, uh, And but there's something longing and missing and mournful uh, about these songs. And I, I, so I'm curious now about Bob Dylan. I started listening to his other music. It's not like this album. This album is almost like Cash, uh, the uh, the last album of Johnny Cash, where you could tell that he had just lost his wife. It was his last album. There was so, there was deeper meaning to that. And I said, is I know Bob Dylan is a Christian, but is he a conservative? I don't know what he is, but I want to read something. I know who he used to be. And I just read about how to create jobs. Bob Dylan talking about trickle-down economics? I I think I agree with what he's saying here. We want to talk to you about that. Also, the guy who gave us trickle-down economics, Ronald Reagan. Part, is it four? Part four of our series on Ronald Reagan begins right now. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is... The Glenn Beck Program. By 1980, Ronald Reagan had already lived a full, fascinating, and successful life. As a young man, he had been a radio star in Des Moines, Iowa, a movie star in Hollywood, a television star, president of the Screen Actors Guild. He had twice been married, had been an extremely liberal Democrat, communist hunter, anti-communist activist, Converted and committed conservative Republican, standout political speaker who'd made a huge impression at the 1964 GOP convention, two-time governor of California, and the man who lost the 1976 nomination for president. Now, at 69 years old, he was ready to try another presidential run. The nation was at an incredibly low point. President Jimmy Carter had addressed the country July 1980 to discuss an American crisis of confidence and inform Americans that they needed to sacrifice more to solve America's problems. The problems were many. Runaway inflation and interest rates, an energy crisis, long lines at the gas pump. The Cold War was at its peak with the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and Iranian extremists had taken 56 American hostages when they stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. They had been held for well over a year. Unlike Carter, Reagan had a way of connecting with the American people and making them feel good about themselves. He was upbeat and positive. 
he also came off to the American people as fair and just. During the GOP primary, a New Hampshire newspaper sponsored a debate between just two candidates, George W. Bush and Ronald Reagan. But the Federal Election Committee ruled that an improper campaign contribution. So Reagan's campaign stepped in and decided to foot the bill. On the night of the debate, the paper provided just two chairs, one for Reagan, one for Bush. But Reagan showed up with all the other candidates anyway. Bob Dole, Howard Baker, John Anderson, and Phil Crane. Chaos broke out when Reagan insisted that the other candidates be included. And the paper's editor and moderator for the debate, John Breen, took issue. To make an announcement, would, the, would the sound man please turn Mr. Reagan's mic off? Oh, no. Is this on? Mr. Green, did you turn on my phone? You ask for me if you would... I am paying for this microphone, Mr. Green. Having learned from their mistake at the 1976 convention, in 1980, Republicans didn't miss their second chance. They overwhelmingly handed Ronald Reagan the nomination, who won 44 states and nearly all the delegates. In his nomination acceptance speech... Reagan went to work changing the rhetorical tone Americans had endured for the past four years. They expect you to tell your children that the American people no longer have the will to cope with their problems, that the future will be one of sacrifice and few opportunities. My fellow citizens, I utterly reject that view. Next up, the general election and Jimmy Carter. In the last debate before the November election, Reagan, with his easygoing manner, put Carter in his place with four words. There you go again. That simple, good-natured rebuke of Carter virtually negated everything he had just said, which was a lot. Governor Reagan, as a matter of fact, began his political career campaigning around this nation against Medicare. Now we have an opportunity to move toward national health insurance with an emphasis on the prevention of disease, an emphasis on outpatient care, not inpatient care, an emphasis on hospital cost containment to hold down the cost of hospital care for those who are ill, an emphasis on catastrophic health insurance so that if a family is threatened with being wiped out economically because of, very, of a very high uh, medical bill, then the insurance would help pay for it. These are the kind of elements of a national health insurance important to the American people. Governor Reagan again, typically, is against such a proposal. Governor, <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> when I opposed Medicare, there was another piece of legislation meeting the same problem before the Congress. I happened to favor the other piece of legislation and thought that it would be better for the senior citizens and provide better care than the one that was finally passed. The election wasn't even close. By just after 8 p.m. Eastern on November 4th, NBC News was already projecting a winner. Well, the time has come. You've seen the map. We've looked at the figures, and NBC News now makes its projection for the presidency. Reagan is our projected winner. Ronald Wilson Reagan of California, a sports announcer, a film actor, a governor of California, is our projected winner at 8.15 Eastern Standard Time on this election night, we have projected Ronald Reagan the winner. As he had done in the GOP primary, 
Reagan won 44 states to the sitting president, Jimmy Carter's six. Despite independent John Anderson siphoning off 6.6%, Reagan still garnered nearly 51% of the vote to Carter's 41 and 489 electoral votes to 49. Against a sitting president, this was a historic and devastating win for the Gipper. Things began to turn around immediately upon Reagan's election. Inauguration day, two weeks before his 70th birthday, the Iranians released the American hostages who had been held for the past 444 days. Then the domestic agenda went into full swing, even as Reagan began the process of reinvigorating and arming the United States military. He dramatically increased military spending in order to safeguard America against the Soviet threat. He also proposed a massive tax cut across the board to stimulate the sagging, repressed economy. Then, just two months into his first term, on March 30th, 1981, coming out of a Washington, D.C. hotel. A fledgling 24-hour news channel named CNN went on the air with the news just minutes after it happened. Bernard Shaw erroneously reported the president's condition. Uh, I should pass this on to you, Bob Berkowitz. Uh, police officers, officers and Secret Service agents tackled the assailant and pushed him to the ground as the motorcade sped away. The White House says Mr. Reagan was not, repeat, not hit by any of the shots. There were approximately four shots fired, each retort sounding like a firecracker as it exploded from the gun. It appeared as if the shots were fired from some sort of pistol at close range, possibly as little as 10 feet from the chief executive from President Reagan. There are unconfirmed reports that the slug struck up two, struck up to two or three bystanders. So we know that uh, a Secret Service agent was hit. We know that Jim Brady, the President's secretary, press secretary, was hit. And we know that a policeman also was hit. What had actually transpired was, as shots rang out, Secret Service Special Agent in Charge, Jerry Parr, pushed the president into the waiting limo. Once inside, as they sped away and caught their breath, Parr asked the president, were you hit? Reagan responded, no, I don't think so. I think you hurt my chest when you landed on top of me. Parr quickly gave Reagan the once-over, patting him down and found nothing out of the ordinary. He radioed that the president was okay and they were on their way to the White House. But as they drove, Agent Parr noticed that Reagan seemed to be in pain. I think you hurt my rib, Reagan said. I'm having trouble breathing. Is it your heart, Parr asked. I don't think so, Reagan replied. As they sped down Connecticut Avenue, Parr weighed the available options. Something was wrong, but was it bad enough to go to the hospital? Not knowing the full scale of what this attempt on the president's life was, if they went to the hospital and this was part of a coordinated attack, conspirators could be waiting for them there. The White House was safer. But if something was seriously wrong, taking him to the White House would be a terrible mistake. As he considered the options, Parr noticed Reagan wiping blood from his mouth with his handkerchief. And there was a lot of it. Reagan thought he had cut his lip, but the blood was oxenated, which meant it probably was coming from his lungs. Get us to Washington University Hospital as fast as you can, he told the driver. By the time they reached the hospital, some of the president's motorcade had caught up with them. 
There was no stretcher waiting, so Reagan, badly wounded, insisted on walking in on his own. Once inside, he couldn't breathe and collapsed to one knee. The agents quickly got him to an emergency room where shocked doctors began working on the President of the United States. When they cut off his custom-made suit, they finally found the bullet wound and that the President of the United States had indeed been shot in the chest with a bullet lodged one inch from his heart. The shot that got me caromed off the side of the limousine and hit me while I was diving into the car. And it hit me back here under the arm and then hit a rib. And that's what caused an extreme pain. And then it tumbled, it turned instead of edgewise and went tumbling down to within an inch of my heart. But when I got in the car, I hadn't felt anything. He landed on top of me and then the pain, which now I know came from the bullet hitting that rib, that terrific pain. And I said, Jerry, get off. I think you've broken a rib of mine. And he got off very quickly. And just then I coughed. And I had a handful of bright, red, frothy uh, mm. blood. So I said, and I guess the, evidently the broken rib has pierced the lung. Well, he simply turned and said George Washington Hospital, and we were on our way. His blood pressure was dangerously low by now. It was clear to the attending emergency room physician that he had gone into shock. He was wounded. Oh my God. He was... The president was hit. He is in stable condition. All this information, the president was hit. After stabilizing him, they got him to surgery. Before going under, Reagan famously joked, I hope you're all Republicans. And the room erupted in laughter. The attending emergency room doctor, who was, in fact, a liberal Democrat, said, Mr. President, today we're all Republicans. Only years later did the nation discover how near to death their new president had been. But despite being 70 years old, Ronald Reagan was in excellent physical condition. The six shots fired before John Hinckley was subdued. Severely wounded press secretary James Brady, Secret Service agent Tim McCarthy, and D.C. police officer Thomas Delaney. All of them survived their wounds. President Reagan recovered quickly and got back to work, leading the nation out of the late 1970s malaise. As the president healed, he led America through the turbulent 80s, the Cold War, challenging the leader of the Soviet Union to tear down the Berlin Wall, economic prosperity, Iran-Contra, mourning in America, and eventually, the fall of the Soviet Union. All that and more on the next episode. Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. This has been an absolutely fascinating week. I was riveted to that. By the way, if you want to hear these serials, there are, there are tons of them now on many different topics. They happen every day at this time, usually four a week. This time we decided to expand it to five on Ronald Reagan. Uh, the final episode is tomorrow, but you can find it at glennbeck.com slash serial, glennbeck.com slash serial. Uh, and they are, uh, please share them with people. I've said this before. That's probably the most expensive 10, 12 minutes on commercial radio every <laughs> single day mm-hmm. by far. Um, please use them and spread them around. Don't, uh, don't let them just sit there. If you are interested in any of these topics or you want us to know about other topics, how do people get in hold of you, Pat? Uh, you can go to uh, patgrayglenbeck.com. Patgrayglenbeck.com. 
and give us suggestions on the things that you want to learn about or the things you want to teach uh, your kids or whatever and how we can make these better and more usable for you. And I'm sorry, uh, many people are saying if Glenn Beck wouldn't do it, it would help. Uh, I can't do anything about that or the price goes way, way up because uh, we can get me for free. Anyway, uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some stats that I heard uh, yesterday that are phenomenal. Do you know that they were saying before Puerto Rico crashed that you were going to get 100% of your money if you had a Puerto Rican bond? Just buy the Puerto Rican bonds. Don't worry. They will, with an exception of police and fire, they will pay everything uh, after they pay the bonds. And so you'll get 100% of your money if you invest in Puerto Rico. Well, now Puerto Rico is collapsing, and currently you are getting 63 cents on your dollar if you invested in Puerto Rico bonds. How much did the money, how much money did the investors of Bernie Madoff get on their dollar? Any idea? I think it was really close to 100%, right? Yeah, yeah, really close. uh, It was 67%. So the Bernie Madoff victims got more than those who purchased bonds and held their money in bonds in a U.S. And he's in prison. Protective, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean... You go ahead, keep your money in bonds and keep believing the lies of bonds. When it starts coming apart and these states and cities can't afford it, what are you going to have? Please find out if gold or silver is right for you and do it now. Where is your money? Where is your 401k? What are you invested in? I know you put your money in your 401k and if you're like me and everybody else, you just kind of forget about it. Don't be in the same position that you were in in 2008 when you opened up that envelope and went, holy cow, 63% on, on a bond that everybody said will never fail. It's fine. You're going to get 100% of your money back. Uh-huh. Bernie Madoff's people did better. Call Goldline now, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. We're just talking about uh, the last serial with uh, Ronald Reagan. And tomorrow we go into the lie of Star Wars. And it's amazing to me how our own press worked against us on Star Wars. Didn't matter to Reagan, though. He kept going. Yeah. He just kept, and it worked. And everybody everybody said, this is fake. He's lying. We don't have the technology. And without ever saying, shh. I know. You know, he was bluffing. He yeah. was bluffing to collapse the Soviet Union. And people like Ted Kennedy were giving him information, giving the Soviet Union information of, we don't have it. We don't have it. I mean, it was really amazing to watch. Going back to the 1980s and really watching. I've never been a fan of the 1980s and 1990s. You know, it wasn't necessarily a good decade for me. And I've never really, I've never really liked going back in those times. I'm finding myself fascinated by the 1980s again. Yeah, the whole Reagan era 
was yeah. I, I I'm amazing. I have renewed interest in it. Me too. You know, Are you guys what is it. anybody watching Americans, the Americans? No, but I, I want yeah. to. I think I'm going to. Okay, so the first two seasons, first season or second season, you're gonna have to have your hand on the remote because you're gonna have to get I mean, you know, you and I will. There's a lot of sex, and it's kind of like, I got it, I got it. They can have sex. It's not nudity, I got it. though, right? Because that's on network television? No, 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 it's not network. It's FX. It's, it's FX, so it's cable. cable. So, yes, there is nudity. But it's you can really? Sk- yeah, you can skip it. You know, as soon as they start moving towards each other, you know, and you just skip past it and then go in. I mean, if you're avoiding it like <laughs> I am. But in the later seasons, none of that is going on. None of that oh. is going on. And it is, it is fascinating to watch... The view of America through the eyes of Russian spies and how we decimated Russia, how we just decimated them. Back in just a minute. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. So we're just talking about we're just talking about shows because uh, one of the things that I told uh, Stu I would be interested in seeing as one of our serials is Bill Cosby because Bill Cosby, I mean, he had his huge you know um, uh, relationship in the nineteen sixties with television, and he was it wasn't the Saint on the Saint; it was the other one. Where he was the sidekick, and he always played the sidekick in, you know, was it I Spy or it might have been I Spy? I'm not, I don't remember. But he played, he had big parts in the '60s, but he was always the second banana. And then he designed the Cosby Show, and I was really torn. Tanya and I were really torn. We we bought the the series, the Cosby Show, to watch with the kids because there's nothing you can watch with the kids that's safe. There's really nothing you can watch with the kids. We've been watching I Love Lucy. I want to watch The Honeymooners with them. There's nothing you can watch now anymore that just is good family fun. We, we thought Turn would be, you know, it's about that revolutionary spy. Yeah. Revolutionary war. I, I, okay, this will be something we can watch with the kids. And we got through, I think, two episodes. And then all of a sudden, it was like... Every other scene is some sexual thing. Okay. You know, I'll bet you. Who is that, AMC? I I will bet you. It is AMC. I will bet you that the turn people have said, you know, we gave the Heartland what they wanted. We gave them a Revolutionary War thing. Yeah. And they completely missed the mark because I was excited about that show. And I I watched maybe, I don't know, four episodes. True story. Come on. All of that. Yeah, and it just... Why are you doing that? Get through it. It is AMC, by the way. Well, I mean, if it's a true story, it probably... At least some of it happened, right? Well, I'm but sure it did. I'm sure it did. But, it. you know, I, I, I don't think any New York liberals are going to be watching Turn. Who's going to be watching that? Who's going to be watching a Revolutionary War uh, documentary? Who's the obvious target? That's, that, that's basic television 101. Who's your audience? 
your audience, the most likely audience, are those people, those families who love the Constitution, love the Founding Fathers, uh-huh. and want to teach it to their children. And so you don't make it like Roots. I'll, that's not appropriate for my you know, 10-year-old daughter. She is so tender that Roots is... Uh, we started watching Roots. I think we got to the first... The uh, new one? No, the old one. Oh. I think we got through maybe the first episode, and she didn't sleep for three days. Really? I, oh, it, it tore her up. She's got a really sensitive heart. You know, she was a little concerned about Sandlot. You ever seen Sandlot? Yeah, but not for a while. Okay, you know, it's about the kids who are playing in the Sandlot. They're playing baseball during the summer and stealing Babe Ruth's baseball and the big mean dog in the backyard. She was a little concerned that that might be too scary. And, you know, so she's very tenderhearted. Um, but my son is the exact opposite. I mean, you know, he, he pulled off the shelves Poltergeist the other day, and I'm like, hey, we're not watching that. He's like, it's PG. It's not even PG-13. And I'm like, oh. we're not watching that. It's also surprisingly bad upon uh, viewing, viewing in the, uh, you know, 30-year-later time period. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Also, PG-13 did not exist when Poltergeist came out, which oh, is good why point. it was good point. PG-13. Good point. So anyway, um, uh, you know, what are you going to watch with your kids? You can't watch anything. So we started watching the Cosby show, what, last week or the week before last. And the kids, that and I Love Lucy, they love it. Absolutely love it. And I had forgotten how great the Cosby show really was. I mean, it's funny. It's, it's, it reinforces your values. It, it's just great. The rapes tend to get in the way. I mean, it really does. The rapes? The enjoy, like, yeah, the yeah. constant was, raping over that period kind yeah, of that clouds was, the... That's why I said I would be interested to do a serial on Bill Cosby, because he went through the 60s, then he went... He became America's dad in the 80s. Think of that. Totally. Think of that. They say America was so racist. No. Bill Cosby really was America's father knows best. He was our dad. And the number one show on television for almost a decade. Right. So that, I mean, that alone should tell you something. And, you know, he was Mr. Pudding Pop. And then he started speaking out about, hey, have morals and decency. Families together, black families and all that. Right. Calling people out. Now look at him. Yeah. I mean, that is a fascinating roller coaster for for America to go Make an interesting cereal. Uh, Make an interesting cereal. Listen to the ratings of the show. Uh, Again, the 1984 number three show on television the first year. uh, 20 million people, uh, 20 million households. Was only number three. Yeah. I know now that would be far and away number one. Um, 1985, number one. 86, number one. 87, number one. 88, number one. 89, number one. 1990 slipped to number five, 91, number 18, and that was the end of the run. It was only on for eight seasons, but still, I mean, number one for six of those, or five of those? Isn't it interesting that really when Reagan kind of leaves office, it starts to slide. Mm -hmm. When we go into war and things kind of just change, and the world changes with the Berlin Wall coming down, that the Cosby show, it's kind of an end of an era. Am I remembering this right? Did it get kind of... Either preachy or the sameness at the end. They all do. Yeah, I, I I don't remember what the problem I had with it was, but I remember at the end being like, okay, I got it enough, and I stopped watching it. And that they probably found themselves too important. Yeah, possibly. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, an eight-year run for a sitcom is it's pretty hard. good. It's a long time. Uh, really hard. Honestly. And all the kids were like, you know, the stockbrokers. Like 40. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that, that happens at the end of that as well. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, mom is a uh, lawyer. Dad is a, is a doctor. The kids are hedge fund managers. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit no, different. I mean, it was, you know, but uh, the other side, the flip side, you can kind of understand the rebellion of the 1960s by watching I Love Lucy. Because I Love Lucy is not, there's no reality in it at all. And that was that had like a 70 share. Um, like two channels at the, at the time. But. Yeah, there were three, but it was, I mean, ABC wasn't doing real well. Uh, and, and so he, I Love Lucy was everywhere for that decade. And mm-hmm. uh, you watch that and, and you get into about a season into it and you're like, there is nothing to this. There is nothing to this. It is the same thing over and over and over again. Lucy's crazy trying to get into the act of of Desi stuff. Yeah. And you're I mean, we're only in the first season. We're like, I got it. And she's brilliant in it, but I got it. Yeah. Where <laughs> you you know, you look at that and you can see how that next generation, that one generation that was watching I Love Lucy as adults, they had come through the Depression, and they were glad to be in a happy, laughy world where everything was perfect, and let's not look at the bad stuff. But the generation now that didn't experience that was like, this is fake. This is all fake. What does that mean for us and our kids? Because uh, they're really headed into the fake. Or are we the fake? And are they real? I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, by the way, I, I, we've done this before, just the, the changing landscape of things as far as entertainment goes. Yeah. But uh, the, the Blacklist was the number one show on television, I know this a few weeks ago. Um, live, plus all the DVRs, pulled in 11 million viewers. Um, the Cosby Show was canceled at number 18 with 14 million viewers. Canceled. That's canceled amazing. with 14 million. That's really something. Yeah, modern. Yeah, Modern Family is was number two, um, and had let's see. Well, Modern uh, Family still on. Yeah, I, I, that show is great. I, in in some ways, it's similar to the. It's like almost like today's Cosby Show. Now I know it's about different things, and certainly, but it's really well done, and and it's one of those shows you can flip on at any point, and it's always good. Have you noticed that you have changed? You remember when high definition television came out, and you didn't like watching movies because movies looked like television. Yeah, and now it's it's super clear. But the movies that you like. You'll notice that you don't notice that anymore. I don't, at least. I don't notice that anymore. I notice when they're shot on a set. Sets look so fake. And the movies that you like or the shows that you like on TV, the the good quality shows, are either on an extraordinarily good set uh, or they're shot in real places. Right, and that's why we are actually in the Oval Office right now uh, doing this right. show on the yeah. place. Barack Obama is... Yeah, he's over here working behind yeah, that chalkboard yeah, uh, on right. the desk. Okay. Uh, Very nice of him, by the way, you know, considering our political differences to let us to come in here. And, he's and always really quiet, day. too, when yeah. we do the show. Which really is, quiet. Which is what a lot of people write to us and say, can you stay in there all day, 24 hours a day? <laughs> Uh, but no, we can't. Uh, we can't do that. <laughs> now, this ZipRecruiter. You're looking for a place to stay in your summer vacation. 
You don't look at just one hotel. You compare hotels and find the best one that fits your needs and is the best value. That's what you want to do when you're hiring somebody. But if you're like any small business, you don't have time to uh, go out and even just post on a 100 different job sites and then narrow them all down, take all the calls, return all the emails. I mean, it's really, really hard. ZipRecruiter, you can post to those 100-plus job, uh, job sites, plus social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with one click. Then to find the candidate in any city, any industry nationwide, you post once, and then the qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. So there aren't any phone calls. There's no juggling the emails or anything else. You just quickly screen the candidates, rate them, and hire the best person soon, right away. 800,000 businesses, and I own two of them, uh, have found employees through ZipRecruiter and use it whenever you're trying to hire. We do here. It is a great interface, especially for busy people where you don't have a big HR you know, firm that's taking care of things. Right now, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. I have decided I will stand for you and I will. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glenbeck.com. So I don't know if this is, do you think this is helpful? Have you guys gotten any response on Facebook or glenbeck.com or anything on what we've been doing this week with the Donald Trump back and forth, supporter, not supporter? Is anybody, is this useful for anybody? I don't know. I mean, I will say most of the stuff I've seen have been people saying like, you know, uh, they they are in the same position they've been in. No, I don't think we're convincing people with this, to be honest. Well, that's not our job to convince anybody on that. Wait, that wasn't our goal. Of course, it wasn't. I'm just saying that, like, if you're if you're not going to honestly consider people's arguments, what's the point? Now, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are considering and they're just not being convinced by them because they've been thinking about this for a year, which is totally fine. I mean, again, we're, we're leading into this is the convention hasn't happened yet. You know, the, the we could sit, sit here and I can quote you polls from all these states that mean nothing because we don't, you know, it's too early. What are you going to talk about here? This is the time where people are saying, all right, I, I've, I, we have the two candidates now. What am I going to do with myself? And I think this is an interesting uh, exercise to go through. But I don't know that, I will say I got a lot of, uh, you know, you get people who are pro-Trump that say, well, um, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the um, uh, woman yesterday made some really good points. Uh, some people said she didn't make the case well enough. The same thing that happens with every other person. So, I, I, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting exercise. Why not do it? David, David Harsani is on here in a little while. He is a guy who worked for us for a long time. Really, really brilliant guy. Libertarian. 
um, with his band, very constitutionalist. He is a never-Trump guy. He's at the Um, Federalist now. Yeah, he's at thefederalist.com. Really smart writer. We really respect him. Um, And I want to push back with him just a little bit on Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. Because that really is the... That, that's the only thing that I think people are, are saying. You know, even Trump supporters are saying, you know, some Trump supporters are saying, how can you met, let Hillary win? It's, it, this is all about stopping Hillary. The supporter that was on yesterday that was a, a Donald Trump from the beginning. And she said, I saw him as the guy who could beat Hillary Clinton. And I guess we never did. But we also thought winning you know, there's more to winning than just winning. You got to win with principles. Um, but we never also saw him as a guy who could beat Hillary Clinton. Um, so we'll see. David Harsani is going to be on with us here in a second. I just wanted to give this to you. We were talking earlier about um, uh, Bob Dylan and is he a is he a conservative? Listen to this. He says people have to create jobs, and these big billionaires are the ones who can do it. We don't see that happening. We see crime in inner cities exploding with people who have nothing to do, turning to drink and drugs. They all uh, could have worked. They all could have work created for them by these hotshot billionaires. For sure, that would create a lot of happiness. Now, so far, you're kind of like, okay, I got it, Bob. Now, I'm not saying that they have to because I'm not talking about communism. But what do they do with their money? Do they use it in virtuous ways? Now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe he's where Theodore Roosevelt was. I think they should because there's a lot of things that are wrong in America and especially in the inner cities that they could solve. Those are dangerous grounds and they don't have to be. There are good people there. They've been oppressed by lack of work. Those people can be working at something. These multi-billionaires can create industries right here in America. But no one can tell them that they have to. God just has to lead them to that. I think I agree. I can't believe I'm saying yeah. this. I agree with Bob Dylan. That was from the AARP interview, right? Yes. Yeah, and that, I think that raised a lot of eyebrows with people saying, has he, has he become conservative in his old age? I don't know if he has, but I, I, don't I know, agree. That's... I don't know what that is Yeah. Um, other than common sense, but I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I would love to talk to Bob Dylan. Love to. It would be interesting to see. I don't know if he would, but that'd be fun. I don't know if he would either, but it sure would be interesting. Back in just a second. This week, we have featured different voices about Donald Trump because I believe that so many Americans are really having a tough time. They don't know what to do. There are a lot of people, a lot of people in this audience that just haven't made up their mind. Uh, They don't know what to do. Donald Trump doesn't reflect them, but they don't want Hillary Clinton. I know I'm in that boat. So what do you do? 
I think this has to be a personal decision that nobody can box you in, guilt you into it, shame you into it, or talk you into it. This has to be a logical decision where you go in eyes wide open. Yesterday, we had pro-Trump supporter Scotty Nell Hughes on. She gave her perspective today. The flip side, David Harsani, senior editor of The Federalist. His point of view begins right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. David Harsani, a guy who's uh, who left the blaze and left Mercury. Bastard. Uh, yeah, I would like to say bastard, um, but I'm forced to say I respect him. <laughs> uh, he left for the uh, Federalist, uh, and he's the senior editor of the Federalist, and the reason why... I, I joke about him leaving is I think he's one of the smartest people that we have had walk through the doors uh, of uh, Mercury. Uh, and now I'm left with Pat and Stu. But um, <laughs> he is really brilliant and a brilliant writer and a brilliant thinker. We wanted to get him now to give the perspective of why he's never Trump. And even with the prospect, and the only thing I'm going to ask all the way through, and David, welcome to the program, the only thing I want you to battle here for, for people is, yeah, but Hillary Clinton, she's horrible. Yeah, I think P.J. Rourke said she's the second worst thing that could happen to America, and I, that's how I feel. <laughs> and uh, the only part of their argument that is, makes some sense and makes me think a little bit and take a little bit of a step back is simply the court. Um, but I think there are worse things in the court that could happen. I, you know, just to give you an example, I think if, if, if Donald Trump did something that was unconstitutional, court says you can't do it, I, I think he would probably say, who's going to stop me? Where's your army? That sort of thing. And, and I think that Hillary would actually probably not do something like that. So in some sense, I trust, trust her more. I can't believe I'm saying this than I do Donald Trump with, you know, constitutional norms. Mm. But <laughs> okay, she, she uh, is what I keep telling people on Facebook is she is the devil we know, right? I mean, everybody's rolling the dice with Trump and saying, "Well, he won't do that." Well, you don't know what he's going to do. First of all, there's every indication he just might. Well, right? there's there. I mean, there is there's some disturbing signs today. There was another one where he said Hugh Hewitt should not because he came out against Donald Trump yesterday. Hugh Hewitt should be disinvited and not allowed by the GOP at the convention. Those kinds of things scare people. But then again, we know that Hillary Clinton is just a less effective face of Saul Alinsky than than Barack Obama was. Right. And she will be, you know, the political enemy. And it's better than having someone on your own side corrode Mm -hmm. all the things you believe in and destroy your own party, a party for me, at least, is just a vessel that has, you know, that I, uh, you know, that allows or a vessel that sort of accomplishes some of the things I care about ideologically. I mean, if they abandon all those things, then what's really the point of a political party? And uh, hearing the argument that I should support a political party simply because it is the political party that, you know, people suspect or think I should support, it doesn't seem like a good enough reason. I mean, it seems like a 
immoral reason, frankly, just to vote for someone. And Donald Trump is going to destroy the things I care about from the inside. I'd rather have the enemy and fight the enemy I know, as I think Pat just said. It is. Uh, it's, it's I mean, hard. it's. it's uh, I mean, it's so right, you're right where I. You right where I am. I, I mean, I just think the GOP will unite against Hillary Clinton. What, what, um, David, what about the the idea? And I get this from a lot of people. It, it, we yes, we know Donald Trump will be terrible on some things. We know that. Um, however, and, and we know that he doesn't tell the truth about everything. However, at least he's saying some of the right things, and there's a chance he might do some of the right things. With Hillary, you know, basically a hundred percent of the time, she's any going of to them be are wrong. wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I suppose that that's true. And listen, I'm, I'm sure sometimes he says things, and I want to I want to cheer a little myself. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I get why people are excited about a candidate who will talk to the establishment and talk to Washington and, you know, the way he does. I mean, I think he's a complete fraud about it, but he does it. Um, but in the end, you have to take a sort of 30,000 foot view of what's going on, not just one or two issues. It, it's, you know, I, I look at it this way. Hillary is going to be an ethically compromised, unpopular president who will not be able to get things done because the Republican Party will unite against her. For me, right. that... Uh, that sort of setup is a lot better than having uh, Donald Trump, who might occasionally do something right, but also, by the way, might occasionally do things with Democrats, you know, on trade or whatever, uh, that are even worse, I think, for the working class than anything Hillary has, uh, you know, waiting for them. So for me, just taking it as the overall, you know, looking at it overall, I just think that the the Hillary presidency would be better for conservatives. Are, is there a candidate out there that you're looking at, uh, David, that you, you like and, and are leaning towards yet? You mean like as a third party run? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, I can't believe I'm saying this either, but you know, I, th- <laughs> I think Mitt Romney should be running. I mean, I don't like ideological presidents. I want them to be conservative, but I also want them to be competent. I want them to uh, get the things that they're supposed to administer rather than to try to make law and to have some kind of you know, to care about the Constitution in some sense. I think we've lost that. Mm -hmm. And neither of these candidates, neither Hillary nor Trump, actually talk about the Constitution in any way that someone who who actually believes and loves the Constitution would accept as genuine. So I I just want someone like that. And I used to not be crazy about Mitt Romney, but now I think he's actually sort of the perfect kind of consensus candidate that could probably bring together conservatives and and more moderate forces that don't want Trump. Okay, so hang on. Let me let me stick up for Donald Trump here. I don't think that you can the Dem- the Republicans can go in. I mean, the time to stop Donald Trump was during the campaign. Mm-hmm. He has won twelve thirty seven. He has played by the rules. He has played an ugly, dirty game, I think, but he won, mm-hmm. and he won fair and square. How does the GOP now? say, oh, well, we're going to change things and you're not the guy. How, do, how does anyone win? You could put almost Jesus in that position because no Democrats are going to necessarily vote for Jesus. And, uh, and the Trump people will be so pissed off that you, you, won't have, you won't have enough votes to coalesce around anyone. So Donald Trump's campaign was all about how Republicans were spineless, cowards, and corrupt. And then when he won, Republicans proved that he was right about everything by running and supporting him, you know, the whole establishment essentially backing him or most of it. 
there, there is no way they're going to knock him or dislodge him. I, I, I just think that the RNC are a bunch okay. of cowards, and they've always have been. But okay. So you're talking about Romney if he were to run as an independent? Yeah, as a third-party candidate. Yeah. That's, um, that's let, the only way to maybe stop Trump. I don't think a third-party candidate can win. Um, Mark Cuban said that gridlock will be a thousand times worse under uh, Hillary Clinton. She keeps tempting me to vote for her. So I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Good. Good. I know. But you know what the problem with gridlock is? I love it. I think it's great. But the problem is people get very <laughs> frustrated, and I think it has a lot to do with what's happening today. Have, has there been anything that, has, that, that you have thought of that you, that you came close, that you, you know, you for a day or 10 minutes, you were like, I, man, I don't know. Because I, I, you know, David, how I feel about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I think that guy is a Latin dictator in the making. I think he could nationalize all the banks. I think he could suspend uh, the you know, First Amendment for people who don't like him. Uh, we're seeing these tendencies. I think he's a very dangerous guy. But I will tell you, I look at Hillary Clinton and I'm like, good God almighty, how could... <laughs> I mean, it's Hillary Clinton. I actually have to turn her off sometimes because I'm being tempted to vote for Trump when she's speaking. You know what I mean? So I don't want to <laughs> be tempted. So, but doesn't that say something to you? Yeah, it's an unpopularity contest. You've seen the you've seen the favorability ratings of these people. It's terrible. Everyone hates both of them. It's the worst election ever. And um, but you it still is. have to make a rational choice now. This is everything's emotion here. There's anger. There's fake empathy on the left. There's you know identity politics, but none of it is about reason or rational thinking. And that's what happens sometimes in a democ- You know, in, in a we're not a democracy, so, but in democracy. Let me let me play devil's advocate one more time on this. Um, you don't vote for Donald Trump. The, the people stay home, like me, they stay home, or, you know, I will go out and vote. I just, I will write somebody in, but uh, I, I will vote for the down ballot, but most people won't. Most people will not pay attention to those constitutionalists that would help us in the Senate and the House. And because of Donald Trump, it looks like, you know, we're going to be losing the Senate for sure and possibly the House to Hillary Clinton. So really, you don't stop Hillary Clinton. If Hillary Clinton wins, she also probably has at least the Senate and maybe the House. Yeah. I mean, it's... So then how do you stop her? You have to go out and vote for down-ballot races. I I don't know how you stop... I mean, uh, you know... Mm. There, there is no good answer here. That's the thing. Everyone's like, well, which is the, you know, mm-hmm. they, they both are, they both suck. That's terrible. I mean, there's no good way out of this. So uh, it also tells us, I think, that a lot of people or few, far fewer than we think care as much about the Constitution as we'd hoped or wished, and that we just have to do the best we can, and then you start the fight over again. It's a never-ending fight. It's not like you ever win or lose. You're always losing and winning at the same time, but perhaps losing mostly right now. But you just have to fight back after. I mean, that's how I view it. This is not a good time for America. I mean, you have the two worst candidates running at the same time. There's really no good way out of this. The, the constant fight uh, is a great point to bring up here because one of the things maybe that illustrates this best is, I, I mean, I, if you would have asked me eight years ago if the war on free trade, I mean, if the free trade argument was over, I probably would have said yes. I mean, yeah, it me seemed too. like both sides were like, yeah, we understand too. that free trade is good for the country and the world. Now it's vilified by by pretty much everybody. Hillary Clinton might be the most conservative 
on trade. But I do hear that a lot from listeners that say, look, Trump will be good on these trade deals. He's not, we're not going to get they screwed won't. anymore. China is going to stop manipulating their currency. All of these things. Can you, can you walk people through why that is not the right idea? <laughs> Protectionism seems to be with us all the time in some sense. I mean, you had Ross Perot you know, the Buchanan, things of that nature. And, and because there's a real human price for tra- free trade, people lose their jobs when industries go out. I mean, it's creative destruction, all that. I think there's a lack of education on what economics is actually about in this country, but it's also just a sort of human reaction to it. So, you know, you need politicians to make compelling arguments and explain these things, but rather than do that, they always give in to the mob, basically and tell them what they want to hear. We're going to get jobs back. We're going to get these jobs back. There are robots doing these jobs. We're never getting these jobs back. And that's something hard for, I think, voters to swallow. And it's very hard to explain. And there aren't politicians brave enough or compelling enough to make that case and make them think about the future rather than the past. You know, you can't conserve the past all the time in all things. But uh, there's no one making those arguments, not effectively. Last question. People are listening to you right now who haven't made up their mind or maybe have made up their mind to support Trump. And and maybe some of them reluctantly. I, I can't imagine there's a lot of real big Trump supporters still listening to us. But um, they've made that decision and they've thought to their, they're listening to you and they're shaking their head and they're like, David, what could he if if you just agreed that there is a chance that Hillary Clinton wins and then the Democrats win the House and the Senate, and you yourself just agreed. There, you don't know how you stop her at that point. What could Trump do that would be so much worse than that? Well, by the way, voting for Trump doesn't ensure that that you won't lose all those things anyway. I mean, in fact, I think having Trump at the top of the ticket is what's ensuring that that, or it doesn't ensure it, but is what's helping that to happen. Uh, because those candidates have no, you know, they have to answer for Trump all the time. What well, I mean, I can't, what am, I don't know what to tell them. I mean, I would tell them that sometimes there's no lesser of two evils, and you have to just make a personal choice and do what's best and then fight another day. There's just no way out of this. Like you said before, you have to stop him when you have the primaries, and people were too cowardly, many of them, to do it. And some of the people I used to respect run over and now praise him. And it's cowardly. And I, I think it tells us that our political system is broken in many ways and has to be fixed. And that starts the day after the election, because at the end, we come out the other side and something new happens and we have to deal with that. How many people did a percentage of people that, you know, that you thought were fighting the same fight that you were? Have you lost? I, I don't have a massive following on Twitter, but I lost a bunch of people. Uh, when I mean, I wrote, people that you I mean, people that you respected, people I know. Yeah. I have family members who are close and I love very much who we're not exactly speaking for a while because we can't get through a conversation right. without yelling at each other. Uh, I don't understand them. I don't understand what's happening. I think I've lost touch with some of my family in America generally on this. And, uh, and I'm trying to figure it out. That's the truth. Yeah, I'm, I, I will tell you that we've lost a lot of uh, we're, we're more alone than we thought we were. And we thought right. we were pretty alone, but we're more alone than we thought we were. It's, it's kind of a lonely place. And David, you have been standing from the beginning and I respect you, uh, for that. And thanks for being on the uh, program and, and, uh, and, and answering some tough questions. Thank you very much. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for the kind words. Thank you. You bet. When there is a disaster, by the way, that's David Harsani. He is with, uh, Federalist. thefederalist.com. Search out his writings because he's a very deep thinker. He is he is 
he is a, a William F. Buckley of, of our generation, where he is part of that brain trust that will reignite the conservative movement again. Um, and just, just really brilliant. Now, this. without the super elitist sounding voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It doesn't yes. sound like this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if there's a disaster, government agencies swoop in and tell you they know how to fix it, and it'll cost you some of your freedom. But don't you want to be safe? Little by little, we lose more and more of our freedom. Be part of the solution. Be prepared. Make sure you have food for your family during any emergency. If you still need to take care of this, My Patriot Supply has your back. And if you call now, you mention my name, they're going to send you a four-week food supply, four weeks of food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for one person for $99. That is a savings of, I think, $118. So it's more than 50% off. The food lasts up to 25 years, and you could easily store it in your home. Four weeks of food for $99. It makes sense to prepare and save money at the same time. Call 1-800-200-7163 or online with preparewithglenn.com. Limit two per caller, 800-200-7163, 800-200-7163 or online with preparewithglenn.com. We have one. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the program. You know, yesterday um, I talked to you in hour number one, and if you missed hour number one, please go watch it uh, today. Or I have an audience show today, and I might be doing uh, a little bit of what we did on hour number one of radio yesterday on television today. It was about what is a conservative. How do you define a conservative? Nobody seems to really know what that is, and and that's why I think we fell apart here is because we didn't know what a conservative... You know, I'm a conservative. I'm for lower taxes. I'm for, you know, the border. That, that, those are policies. That's not what it means to conserve. To conserve what? The border security? To secure our bathrooms? That, that's not deep enough. And those change all the time. So what is a conservative? A conservative means to conserve or stop the uh, degradation or destruction of certain principles. So what are those principles? And I laid them out uh, yesterday, really, by doing, trying to do my own homework on, you know, trying to think of these things myself. And then I realized as I spent some time, you know what? It's really just the Bill of Rights. And when I boil the Bill of Rights down, what are the Bill of Rights telling us? They're telling us that the individual is sovereign and there are ways to protect society against those who want to take your sovereignty or your property. And there's ways for the individual to protect against the government trying to take that individual sovereignty. So 
That's really what we're trying to conserve is the time-tested true truths that have gone through the centuries about individual sovereignty. Now, how do we do that? Next. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. So yesterday we talked a little bit about um, uh, something that we've been talking about for, I don't even know, two years, that there is a feeling in the country across both sides of the aisle, across all of America, that just wants to feel like they belong. And the reason why we don't feel like we belong is because the country has been taken by um, the, the elites, if you will, the, the, the parties that are they're no different from one another. The Republicans and the Democrats are are pretty much going down the same road. And and we don't feel like we're a part of really the Democrats or the Republicans. I think more Democrats feel like they're part of the Democratic Party uh, than Republicans do. But look at how in shatters the Democratic Party is. The Democratic Party is aging out. Everybody who's running is all a thousand years old. Where are the new Democrats, the young Democrats? There are a few, but almost everybody are, are these old ancient people. Their bench is really bad. Really bad. Who's really thin. Who's the future for, for Democrats? Who's the future, future is Marxist. They are the Marxist All Marxists. Like, all Marxists. Uh, uh, Julian Castro. Yeah. They're uh, all Marxists. Yeah. And that's the split that's happening right now. And when this generation of the Hillary Clintons dies, it's going Marxism. So they don't really feel like they fit. The Marxists don't feel like they fit in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party doesn't, you know, a lot of people don't feel like they're really behind Hillary Clinton. They feel like they don't belong. We feel like we don't belong. Even, even... People who are, you know, part of the party now because of Donald Trump, they don't even feel like they belong. And Donald Trump people don't feel like they belong. I mean, there's nobody that feels like that's together. Many of us, I don't. I don't feel like I even recognize my country anymore. And what's worse is I don't recognize my countrymen. I told you that there would be a time that I didn't recognize my country but now I'm getting to a place where I don't recognize even my countrymen. I have a vastly different view. And so what does it mean to be a conservative? And this is an argument that we have been having for a long time where Pat has always said, I, conservative means, I know what it means. And I've been saying you've got to say like constitutional conservative because it doesn't mean that to everybody. And now we have proof that that's right. And conservative means nothing anymore. It really means nothing. 
So if we want to save that term, we have to identify what it is. What is it that we're conserving, that we're trying to protect from destruction? And what we're trying to protect from destruction is only this, because we could lose everything else. But as long as we could lose our electricity, we could lose our wealth, we could lose everything. But as long as we gather together in a group and we understand that the individual is supreme and the individual has certain inalienable rights, unchangeable, then we're going to be okay. We're not trying to go back in the past and and save slavery because that goes against what we believe. We're not going back and trying to keep segregation or trying to keep, because that goes against what we believe. Everybody, individuals are exactly alike when they're born and they have opportunities in front of them. And we need to support those opportunities by our own individual choices and actions. That's what we're trying to conserve. We're trying to conserve the idea that the individual is supreme and that that individual has a right to protect himself, herself, her property, her intellectual, her thoughts, and to protect against society and to protect against a government gone awry. That's what a conservative means. Let people be and don't take their stuff. I told you yesterday, and and I'm hoping to do a monologue on this tonight with the audience. I, I, I haven't decided yet. I've got two monologues to do. One is on the six day war and I might do that Monday or might do this one Monday. I'm not sure, but I want to go over those principles and then ask you the question that I asked last night or yesterday, and that is this. Why is it falling apart? Yesterday at this time, I, we, we were talking to you about how we're teaching ethics to cars. AI is now at the point to where iRobot was, where they said there's the three primary directives that they can't violate. It can't hurt humans. And we're teaching ethics now to artificial intelligence. We're at that point. But what are our ethics? And, and I told you yesterday, we're living the Milgram experiment. And the Milgram experiment was done at Yale by, in the 1960s by a Jew who's I think, lost his family in extermination camps in Germany. And he wanted to know, how do we make people, how did Germans make people do these things? How did you get them to build ovens in concentration camps and scoop up Jews and not do anything? They found, this was the conclusion of the, the study, that if you had somebody in authority saying, just keep going, it's okay, and you couldn't see the person, after a while you would just see that person as whatever the person said in authority they were. Well, I think we're living the outcome of the Milgram experiment right now online. We're no longer decent to each other online because I don't see you. And leaders on both sides of the aisle are teaching us it's okay to call people names, to be uncivil. And look, we're all going to have times when we say things that we're angry about or whatever we say things, but that's not what we should be aiming for. 
We all make mistakes, but are we trying to be better? So how do, if we're trying to conserve these things and trying to find a place where we belong and find a place where we can all be heard and find a place where I as an individual, I'm in control of my life, how do we do it? Well, if you're trying to conserve being heard, you got to listen. You can't shout somebody else down and expect them to listen to you. We have to listen to one another. But here's what we must do. In fact, it's beyond do. We have to live this. In fact, we have to become these things. Because without doing these things, America can never be great. Without doing these things, you're never going to conserve the individual liberties and the individual sovereignty. It cannot be conserved if conservatives or conservationists don't hold these qualities. Honesty. There is no way to conserve anything if we can't trust each other to be honest. You could convince me Donald Trump could make concessions right now and he could say, Glenn, just go with my judges. And you know what? I might do that if he said, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to mess with the First Amendment and I'm going to give you the judges. You could convince me because I think Hillary Clinton is so evil that you could probably in the end get me there. But the reason why you can't is because I don't believe he's honest. I, don't, I believe he says the things that are politically expedient for him at the time. He may believe them at the time, but he has shown me no pattern to believe that he's an honest man. What if he pinky promised? Yeah, no. Oh, all right. <laughs> if, if we don't have honesty on both sides, we can't trust. Why do people not like Hillary Clinton? She's not honest. They know she's yeah. not honest. This happened in the 90s with all the, the scandals, the WorldCom and the Enrons of the world. It was like, well, I want to make a bet, and it's hard enough to figure out which stock to buy. But when the underlying information is a lie, you can't do the anything. whole thing falls apart. can't do anything. If, we'd, if we don't have hope for a better future, you know this. What did the Germans try to do? They tried to destroy your hope. What did the Russians do in the Ukraine? They took away all of the food from your kitchen and then they shot your children as you were growing the grain and your child who was starving to death reached up to grab an ear of corn. They shot your child. You have no hope. You're not going to make it. Once you destroy hope, it's over. If we don't have humility, humility leads us to listening to each other. Humility leads us to actually consider somebody else's point of view, which may be right. How many times have, have we said in our own lives, I know I have, crap, I used to believe that. That's, I didn't even think of it that way. That comes from humility, from sincerity. There is nobody on television that I think is really sincere when it comes to reporters asking questions, are they really sincere in asking those questions? They're usually trying to make their own point or get their own ratings. Headlines. Headlines. Are those sincere headlines or are those clickbait headlines? 
how can you solve and preserve anything, conserve anything, if you're not sincere? If we don't have hard work, we, the things that we must do, live, and become, if we want to be conservatives, honesty, reverence, hope, thrift, humility, charity, how do you expect to hold the individual supreme? And I'm not talking about somebody forcing you to do this, but if in your life there isn't something that you do that recognizes that others are struggling, and you also, by your own choice, and not everybody will do it, want to reach out and help somebody else. Whether it's because, you know, even simple things like, you know what, I see a lot of me, a younger me in this person, and I think this person has potential, and this person might even be able to help me on, in my business. So I'm going to hire them, but I'm going to pour a lot of stuff into them because they're going to be good for my business. I'm trying to think of the most Ayn Rand kind of thing. They'll be good for my business, but I'm helping them too. Sincerity. Capitalism's all about. It is. Sincerity, moderation, hard work. We don't have hard work anymore. My kids think they work hard. My kids don't know what hard work is. Wow. We do sound like grandfathers here. No yeah. I mean, that's true. It's true, though. And you know what? I didn't know what hard... My grandfather was right. Yeah, of course. What my grandfather worked, <laughs> that, that was hard work. Yep. He said, he used to say to me, you don't know what hard work is. I know what hard work... He was right. Courage. How many people do we know that don't have the courage right now to stand up? It's only going to get harder. They don't want to. How many people aren't going to your favorite um, you know, website or passing things on or even clicking like on something because of the political firestorm it's going to cause you? And I understand it because you don't want to get into the hate talk. I don't respond to the hate talk. I'm just not responding to it on Facebook. But how many people are not willing to share things because you're going to get attacked? So you retreat. Courage. Personal responsibility. If, you, if we are fighting for personal sovereignty, individual sovereignty... You must have individual responsibility. And quite honestly, gratitude. And that means looking at things differently. My son, when he was, I think, 10, maybe 11, he said to me, we were watching, I don't know, Doctor Who or something, where they had the opportunity to go back and kill Hitler. And I stopped it, and I said... So would you kill Hitler? Without even thinking, nope. That scared the hell out of me. I mean, I'm like, whoa, 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 that was an awfully fast answer. <laughs> you know, I'd have to think about that one for a while. Nope. Uh, I mean, he killed a lot of people, you know. I mean, millions of people and the, the death camps and everything. I know. So why wouldn't you kill him? Because, Dad, look at the heroes that came out of that nightmare. What, what, what would we have missed and what would have people missed, the individuals who became heroes, 
if you took their chance to be great people away. Now, I, that's a hard answer. It was interesting to see how a kid does it's a that kid. calculus, right? It's a kid yeah. doing calculus. But that comes, I think, from gratitude of looking at some of the worst things ever and being able to see there is a blessing here. There is a blessing. Now this, protect what you own, what's rightfully yours. Burglars know how to tell you tell when you're away, and that's why burglaries skyrocket in the summer. Protecting your home and your family cannot wait. Simply safe. They have a massive security system for you. Glass break sensors, motion sensors, entry sensors, everything you need to stop a criminal before they even come into your house. And right now, Simply Safe has given you an incredible offer on this, this huge uh, system. You're going to get $100 off of the package. Simply Safe is already an unbelievable value. The system is unbelievable in its value. You get the $100 off, and the monitoring is $14.99 a month. Plus, no long-term contracts. Go to simplysafebeck.com. Simplysafebeck.com. Get $100 off the amazing security package right now. Simplysafebeck.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. You know, it's amazing. I listed all of those, those 12 uh, uh, virtues off, and we gave Trump three. We can only give Hillary Clinton one. <laughs> I mean, that is... That's not good. That's amazing. That's not good. Truly amazing. We'll see you tonight at 5 on theblaze.com. Audience show, your questions answered. You don't want to miss it. 5 o'clock, theblaze.com slash TV. This is... The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.